0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 1. Psalms 1. You know, the Psalms are always kind of a a good default for me. If I'm not sure what to preach on, and that's the problem with not being in a series, you know, what do you do next week? Um, That's why I like going preaching through a book of the Bible or a topic or doctrine or something like that so that I know where I'm going next week. But I... um, I can always default to the Psalms. And uh, Psalm 1 is is a psalm that I'd like us to consider here today uh, in a message that I have entitled, As a Tree or Like the chaff. We see here in Psalm 1, it talks about verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man. And then it goes on down and talks about uh, this man that is blessed. And that word literally in the Hebrew uh, means how happy. So we're talking about happiness here. It describes how to be happy. Anybody here want to be happy? Uh, you know, it's more than just saying, uh, put on a smiley face. You know, we can put on a smiley face, but sometimes it's kind of uh, forced because it's not really where our heart's at. And, um, you know, happiness is something that is uh, a desirable condition for For everybody, I don't care where you live, and here in in America, it is a privilege, right? Our Declaration of Independence says we have certain unalienable rights, and you know what those are? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, Our founders uh, declared that we have the right to pursue happiness as Americans that's not always the case in every country. Uh, and yet I wonder why there's so many unhappy Americans. One of the first things that struck me when I went to Africa the first time was a happy people that lived in abject poverty, did not enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy here in America, and yet largely they were a happy people. Uh, now, the Countries that I've been in in Africa are French-speaking countries, and so I didn't have a clue what they were saying. <laughs> and yet I the smile communicates it all, right? And, and it does for anybody, you know. Let's not just put on a happy face. Let's have a happy heart out of which a happy face c- can come. And that's kind of what this is talking about here. Uh, we are free to pursue happiness here in America. No one's going to tell us, uh, not to do uh, that, as we are Americans, and it's part of of what we have. Generally, uh, I don't think we know what happiness is, and that's why there's so many unhappy Americans, so many unhappy people. We kind of tend to think that happiness is a set of circumstances when everything's just right, and all is going well for me. I'm going to be happy. Well, you know what? Uh, happiness is not a set of circumstances but it is a product of character. It is a product of, of our lives, and, and we see here it being uh, spelled out clearly uh, how this man lives and is called blessed or happy. How happy is the man? And it goes on to describe here two ways of life. There is a way of life, and there is what I'm going to call the way of death. Um, as we are studying the book of Proverbs, that's one of the topics. Proverbs covers uh, about any topic that that uh, we need to understand and know for this life. It's an amazing book. But you can't just start in studying Proverbs and going verse by verse like, you know, preaching through uh, uh, Ephesians or something like that. Uh, because the, the subjects are scattered at random throughout the book, these these uh, proverbs, these wise sayings, these jewels of life are scattered hither and yon. And one of the topics is going to be life and death. And, and uh, in proverbs, as we study that, it's going to be kind of like what we're looking at here. We're not talking about life being the heart beating and death being when it stops beating. Uh, we're talking about qualities of life. Life being fellowship with God and all that entails, and death being its opposite. And so that's what we have here today presented before us uh, that results in, uh, in part, uh, happiness. So let's get underway here as we uh, consider, first of all, uh, the way of life. Now, he gives us the route to the way of life, he says, blessed is the man, or happy is the man, that walketh not. So he is talking about the route, and first of all, he's saying what the route does not do. The pathway of a happy man does not do these things. It says, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What we see here being spelled out to us is a progression of departure from God. Uh, To walk not in the counsel. Uh, We're talking about a path of life, a route of life to to walk. And we're talking about uh, the counsel of the ungodly or the thinking or the advice that the ungodly may give us. And, of course, when we're talking about the ungodly, it doesn't necessarily, as we'll see when we get down to verse 4, it's not necessarily talking just about wicked people. That's what typically you think of when you think of ungodly. It can. It also means just people who don't have God, who just leave God out of their life. And I'm here to tell you there's a lot of advice out there, isn't there? By people who have left God out of their life to tell us how to do it. Well... To be thinking those things, their advice, their counsel, and what a man thinks is what's going to shape his life. So you see here, uh, right away, it it starts with just the old brain up here, the counsel, the things that we think, uh, the thinking part of our being, because what we think the mind is the control center. Kind of like the computer. What you think is what you're going to desire in your heart. And what you desire in your heart is what you're going to do. And so input is pretty important. The, the, uh, the man here that is described in Psalm 1. This, this way of life man. He does not uh, walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. He stopped his walk. And he stands in the way. He's stopped and he's standing in the way. In other words, uh, he is behaving now like he has the advice that he has been given from the ungodly. It, uh, he makes it a part of his life. He's, he's following that way. Nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat. To sit now, he's, he's sat down. He's taken part, he's belonging to he's adopting the mindset of, and so you see this progression, and that 's what uh, the way of life is not, and really what it is talking about is is separation. You know that's a topic that a lot of churches in this day and age uh, tend to stay away from because People don't want to hear it. This is not what you should do. But I'm here to tell you it is a very large part of our Christian life. And if you want to be happy, you need to understand the doctrine of separation. Because we have been saved, if you know Christ as your Savior. And of course, that's understood here in Psalm 1. Uh, This only can be accomplished by... In this church age that we're living in now by having understood that I'm lost in my sins and yet God loved me and offers a gift, eternal life, the forgiveness of those sins through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I have received Christ as my Savior. Have you done that? If you're saved and you know it, say amen. Amen. Was that unanimous? (laughs) I hope so. Um, I just don't assume that uh, everybody's saved in any particular crowd. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But um, anyway, uh, this is talking about those who, who do know Christ as their Savior. This is what they are separated from. But my friends, all too often, and the people that kind of rear back at separation, and, and and rightfully so in some cases because that's all you hear, don't do this, don't do that, and blah, 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 but it's not just what you are separated from, it's what you're separated to. We are to put off the old man, but we're to put on in his place the new man. And and we've been saved to to live a life that is worth the while and and accomplishes what the Lord would want us to accomplish and the, the greatest achievements known to man is available if we Separate ourselves from what we once were and follow after that which we now can have in Christ. So we see there's this negative part. It's called separation. But right here in this passage, we have the positive part, too. And uh, you see there's a balance. There needs to be a balance. You don't just preach the positive, the positive, the positive. Everybody likes the positive. but My friends, you need to see the negative. And I tell you what. Uh. God is light, and in him is no darkness. And so you've got these, you've got these extremes uh, you know, that, that exist throughout God's word, the, the negative uh, and the positive. Well, we see here the positive side of this whole thing. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, my friends, delight means to take pleasure in something. Um, to desire something, have something that is of value to you. And what is he talking about? The law of the Lord. The law's a portion of God's word. And yet I think the way that this is used here, it encompasses all of God's word. There's the law, there's the commandments, there's the precepts, there's the uh, word of God, the promises of the word, and, and on and on and on you go. But this man finds his delight positively in the law of the Lord. That's why last year we took the time as a church to read through this book. And that's why we as God's people take time to, to get into God's word and to understand the do's and the don'ts of what the Lord would have us to do. There's no way we're going to know these things unless we get into it. And of course, that's the importance of a, of a good Bible preaching church that, that preaches the whole counsel of God's word. Not just the fluff, not just the things that people like to hear. So we see here, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, doth he meditate day and night. And you say, well, that's where it leaves me out. Uh how can I do that? Meditate in the Lord in the Lord's word day and night. Uh well, to meditate doesn't mean to you know sit in a chair and and contemplate uh or cross your legs in a corner and and uh and that type of meditation. It the, the word the Hebrew word literally means to murmur. And it can be used in a positive sense or a negative sense, murmur in pleasure or murmur in anger. There's far too much murmuring going on sometimes in anger or disgust or, or distraughtness. And we as believers are told not to do that. Children of Israel murmured against the Lord. But it's also used here in a positive sense to, to ponder, to, to murmur in pleasure to take a promise of God's word that maybe you saw in the morning in your devotions and and to mull it over in your mind as you go about your day. Certainly you can't uh you you got to go to work, you got to go about your day, you got to do what it is uh, you you normally do in a day, but you can do it with murmuring and contemplating and and pondering God's word. That's what this is talking about. That in your waking moments, you know, you you get busy with your job and of course uh that, that thought's not going to be the, in the front of your mind, but maybe something happens at work. And all of a sudden, that you need that verse, or you need the one you had yesterday. And you think about it, and, and you act accordingly. And that's what we're talking about here. And so what are we talking about here? Uh, largely, we're talking about uh, dedication. Just being dedicated to the Lord, surrendered to Him. Letting Jesus be the Lord of your life, desiring to know what, he has, what it is that he has said, and then to find our, our pleasure and our delight in that. And I'm here to tell you that that's kind of what we see in the New Testament. Turn with me. Well, you may not need to turn, but Romans chapter 12, I'm going to go there. Where it says much the same thing, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Where Paul, to us as believers in this church age, says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. My friends, we are to present our bodies to the Lord. That's talking about dedication. That's talking about surrender. And that's a decision that I believe we as believers are faced with because we're challenged with it right here. Who's going to be Lord of your life? To whom are you going to yield? You know, we're, we're servants. Back in Romans chapter 6. Back up just a little bit with me. Don't lose your place there in 12. If you do, it's close. Back in chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are? whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You see here we've got this black and white again. We're all servants. We're either servants of the Lord, and He's Lord of my life. And that doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but we're sensitive to sin. And when we do, we correct it quickly and claim that promise given to us in 1 John 1, 9. And boy, that's one to take with you every day. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Period. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll do that if we do our part. He is faithful to do that. He keeps his promises. Well, back to 12, it says we, we give ourselves to the Lord. That's kind of what we saw on the positive side over here where he takes pleasure in the word of God. And he he meditates upon it day and night, and then in verse two of Romans 12 he says, "And be not conformed to this world." That's the negative part. Don't be conformed to this world. We've been saved from this, the things of this world. That's why, my friends, it's wrong for a church to think that, uh, or preacher, or teacher, or believe that you know we need to act like the world to win the world. And and the services that, that go on so many places are. Are geared toward appealing to the world. Well we appeal to the world. But my friends we are not to be conformed to this world. We're in this world. But we're not of this world. But be transformed. He goes on to say in Romans 12.2. There it is. Um, Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that transformed there. Is not talking about that immediate transformation. That takes place when I receive Christ as my savior. That happened. Uh, And if you know Christ, that happened immediately. You become a child of God. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And yet in our life, this this transformation is by the renewing of our mind. And again, it's, it's kind of what we see going on over there in Psalm 1. He delighted in the law of the Lord. And in it did he meditate day and night. We... Are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And how do we renew our mind? We, we adjust our thoughts and we think the things that God thinks. And this is how we find out here in this book. We renew our minds that we might be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can know God's will. But my friends, we're talking about here, uh, getting back to Psalm now dedication, that that decision that I made early on in my Christian life, and I praise the Lord for it, it was only about two or three months after I came to know Christ, I realized that Christ died for me. Hey, it's not him asking too much for me to just live for him. It's my reasonable service, just like it says there in Romans 12.1. And I think that, uh, you know, so many Christians kind of just toy it at, Am I dedicated or not? Today maybe I will, maybe I won't. And we kind of decide moment by moment or day by day or year by year. And that doesn't mean that, that if we have made that dedication, for certainly not in my case, is every day perfect. But it means that I've crowned Jesus Lord of my life. And, and that means that, that when he's not, I'm not living in light of that. And I need to confess that sin and get back to where Jesus is the one controlling the shots in my life. So that's kind of what we're talking about here in in, uh, Psalm 1. We have the the route. Let's go back there now. And notice, uh, as we get into verse 3, we see the results of this way of life, this pathway of life. Uh, The results, he says... He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Well, what's that talking about? A tree's a pretty stable thing, isn't it? Stability in our life. You know, if a car runs into a tree, who wins? Not the car, not the person in it. The tree stands firm. Planted by the rivers of water. Now, that may not mean much to us here in Montana because there's trees everywhere. But go to Kansas, which is where I was raised. There's no trees out there except by the creeks and the rivers where they have a source of water. Some people planted shelter belts to protect them from the wind out of the north in the in the winter. Snow comes out of Nebraska, crosses Kansas and on down into Oklahoma. Or the south winds in the summertime, which brings the heat out of Texas and comes right on up through Oklahoma. But my friends, we the tree that is planted by the river's water is talking about a tree that is not only solid and stable, but a tree that is growing, a tree that is is healthy and a tree that has what it needs to to continue to grow and and this this person this man, this blessed man that doesn't do the things he once used to do, but he finds his delight in the law of the Lord, he'll be stable in his life. And it goes on to say that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither. And, of course, that's talking about just the life that a tree that has plenty of water and plenty of nourishment has. It, it, you know, you find a tree out in the middle of the prairie somewhere Eastern Montana or places in Kansas where, where there's no river. You know, sometimes they leaf out, sometimes they don't. And whatsoever he doeth, it goes on to say, shall prosper. So, my friends, we have not only stability, but we have success. And, of course, you know, we don't measure success by the way the world measures success. We're talking about success by the way God measures success. The world has success as you know you you got so much in your bank account, and you got you got good life insurance and and you're well taken care of and everything's okay and 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 still they're not happy. You get everything going your way and you're still not happy. We're talking about success by the way the Lord points out what is success. And the one who does not walk after the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's the one that will have success by God's definition of what is success. What have you gained if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? You know, the... The world's definition of of the right pathway of life and what success is is just the opposites of what the Lord has. Jesus says, you save your life, you're going to lose it. But who loses his life for my sake is going to find it. When we live for the Lord, my friends, we we do what the Lord would have us to do, and we, we lay up treasures in heaven, and we know where we're going. And, of course, this does not mean... That is not without trials and tribulations. But everybody has them. This life is filled with it. Both the ungodly and the godly. But my friends there's success. There is prosperity. There is life. In this way of life that we're talking about here. But as we continue in this psalm. We see also the way of Death. As a way of life, if you please. It says, uh, as we consider their route and make some comparisons here, the ungodly are not so. Now, ungodly uh, sinners, those who live ungodly lives and, and those who enjoy sin and and promoting it and doing it and, and look all around and it's it's there. Satan has seen to that way back in the Garden of Eden when man fell. That's where it began. And short of the intervention of the Lord, my friends, that's where it will continue because we're born sinners. And so the ungodly can be talking about the, those who are, are wicked and those who, who uh, live ungodly lives. But it also can be those who just have no God. They, at least the God, they don't have the God they just leave God out of their life. And, you know, there could be somebody that is a upstanding person in the community. And by worldly standards has everything going for them. And is well thought of and doesn't live a sinful life. Kind of like the Pharisees. <laughs> and yet Christ says, you're full of dead man's bones. You're clean and white on the outside, but you're, you're full of dead men's bones. And so we see that as we talk about those who just leave God out of their life, it's, you're not, you don't have to, this way here of death is not just the ungodly and the wicked, and there's plenty of that going around for sure, but we're talking about people who just do not know God. And the only way you know God is through Jesus. Jesus. Because God offers eternal life through Jesus. And um, there's many people that do things they think is pleasing God. But they, they do not come to him on his terms. And recognize that they're sinners. And yet the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. So the route that we see here is described just in that word. The ungodly are not so. But are like the chaff. Uh, We go on to see the result of their life. They're like chaff. That's uh, instability, I guess, spelled with a capital I. Chaff? I don't know. I was raised on a farm, so um, I think I understand chaff pretty well. You know, the combine um, cuts the whole plant down and and it processes it. It knocks the, the seed out. It goes up into the bin. And out the back goes a chaff. And boy, I, I, it was good to stay away from the back end of a combine because there goes the chaff. Uh, stuff that just the wind blows around and and it has no stability. And, and that's what we talk here with the ungodly. They are like the chaff which is driven, uh, which the wind driveth away. You know, I saw some uh, harvesting processes in Africa, a whole lot different there where you know, they pile the grain in a pile, and then they throw it up in the air and, and let the wind blow the chaff away as the seeds fall back down. And uh, be it corn, be it millet, be it whatever it is that they... But, but the same thing has to be done. And chaff is, is good for nothing. Uh, there's no value to the chaff. It's part of the plant, but there's no value to it. Well, it goes on to say, not only are they unstable. Uh, um, instability um, it says they therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, my friends, they are uh have vulnerability, they shall not stand in the judgment, you know it is appointed unto men once to die, then cometh the judgment everybody's going to stand before the Lord and um But they will not be able to stand in the judgment. They are vulnerable. They are defenseless against the judgment of God Almighty. They will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It goes on to say, for the Lord knoweth, verse 6, the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish, and uh, the end result of those who leave God out of their life is ultimate calamity. The ungodly shall perish. But it also um, mentions before that in verse 6, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. My friends, uh, another one of the results of of the way of life is, is hope. The Lord knows us. He knows the way of the righteous. We have hope. And our hope as a believer is not just a hope, so kind of a hope. Our hope is earnest expectation and it's based upon the faithfulness of God. God makes promises to us. And God is faithful. He will keep those promises. That is our hope. God knoweth the way of the righteous. And of course, I cycle back around to where we started as we think of the way of life and the results of the way of life. Happiness. That doesn't mean that that uh, there's not trials, there's not tribulations, there's not difficulties, there's not problems. But my friends, happiness is, a, is not a set of circumstances. Happiness is a product of character. And we see the character and the character building that will result in happiness. Uh, so I guess my question would be, as a tree or like the chaff? I think I would choose to be like a tree, and I know you would too, right? Uh, God help us to understand uh, the way of life. Uh, This is an Old Testament example. Psalm 1 is a good uh, start to this uh, hymn book, this Psalter, the Old Testament hymn book, as it is a challenge to uh, God's people, Old Testament and us today in New Testament, to walk in the way of life and not in the way of death. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and pray that you would uh, use it in our midst today to your honor and glory. Thank you for each one here. You know our hearts, Father. I pray that you would uh, urge us in our hearts to to respond today if things are not as they should be. Father, that uh, you would just have the victory that each and every one of us would leave today yielded to you, and committed to doing what you would want us to do and, and leave saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And thank you, Lord, for the challenge you've given to us from your word. Thank you, Father. Work to that end as we close this service, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn in them to Psalm 16 today. Psalm 16. Have you ever ask someone how they're doing, you know, that's kind of a common question. How are you doing today? Have they ever responded, I'm living a life? Have you ever had that happen? I have. Uh, And, uh, you know, it kind of tells you something about that person and and what what do they mean by that, you know? Uh, I'm living the life. Uh, Usually, it means that, well, I'm living a life that's rewarding i'm living a life that's satisfying i'm living living a life that's challenging i'm living a life that's productive or i'm living a life that is enjoyable uh that's usually the way i would take it i've had people say that i'm living the life um you know maybe though if you stop and ask what do you mean by that uh they might say well i'm still alive that's what i mean by it you know my heart's still pumping i don't know um Typically, that wouldn't be the case, you would think. Um, But typically, they would be talking about living a life full of of vigor and vitality and and rewarding and rich. Um, You know, I've asked you to pray about about a series for messages here for the morning and the evening because our reading through the Bible together last year consumed both morning and evening services. And uh, the Lord's been uh given me direction and and I've had some leadings of the lord in my heart but but one of you and I'll not mention any names here made a suggestion last week in the handshake line when I asked uh, last week uh got any suggestions yet because I wasn't completely declared or settled on where I was going uh well that just confirmed uh, the direction that the Lord was leading in my heart, the comment that was made last Sunday. Um, and I'm going to begin a series that is entitled, uh, Living the Life. And yet, as we talk about living the life, uh, it's got to be a little bit more focused. Uh, I'm talking about living the life for Jesus. Um, living a life that is satisfying and rewarding and Challenging and productive, and enjoyable. For the Lord, is what I would like us to be considering: living the life for Jesus. And I would like to use a verse out of Math or Psalm 16 as a theme verse for this series. Um, It's verse 11, actually, but I want to back up and start reading in verse. 8 if you have your place there in Psalm 16 and verse 8 it says i have set the lord always before me because he was at my right hand i shall not be moved therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth my flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. And, of course, uh, that's a reference that could be applied about three different directions there. It's it's obviously a messianic prophecy about the Lord Jesus, but it was also a a statement of the resurrection that that, uh, David was looking forward to and can be one for us as well. We will be resurrected in body to be reunited with our soul, to spend eternity uh, with the Lord. But verse 11 is my theme verse. It says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. Father, we thank you that this is your desire stated to us. Thank you that you... Do show us the path of life. It is found here in your word. Thank you that you have inspired it and preserved it down through the ages. For the privilege it is ours as a church to take it in hand and open it and declare its truths and stand upon its promises and, and know those uh, promises that you have given to us that will last for time and eternity. Thank you, Father, that as you declare your desire for us that that it is Uh, living a life that is satisfying and rewarding and challenging and productive and enjoyable, full of joy, with pleasures evermore, for Jesus. Father, we thank you for that. And I pray that as we begin this series of messages, that you would just work in our hearts and lives, that we could know how that can be a reality, no matter what it is that we face. Father, we just commit ourselves to you this morning, work in our hearts and lives, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this series, we are going to examine passages that, that point us uh, the direction of living the life for Jesus uh, that would point the way for a path that leads to what we see here, fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. Um, remember last week, uh, Psalm 1 we looked at. I told you that Psalm 1 very well could be a kind of a kickoff message for uh, the series that the Lord had laid on my heart. I didn't didn't declare it at that time, but but it very well could be because remember the the outline last week was the way of life as compared to the way of death, qualities of life. Blessed is the man, and then it goes on to describe that man, and, and it will not be so also with the other side of the coin. Let me ask, are you living the life for Jesus? Hopefully that can be said uh, from us as we keep on keeping on. And, of course, that doesn't mean that this life doesn't have its challenges and, and difficulties Uh You know, all too often some people think, well, I trusted Christ. Why am I going through this? Well, we forget quickly the words that Jesus himself said that um, in this life you shall have tribulation. And that's all we uh, connect with. But he says, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. He tells us that even as we go through trials and tribulations, uh, we can uh, be living the life uh, for Jesus. Well, to start with, as we begin in this series, uh, I need to deal with, first of all, the start of that life. Um, In 1 John chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me, 1 John chapter 5, we'll uh, consider the start of that life, a life for Jesus, living the life for Jesus. And, of course, as I am preaching to the choir here today... um, you know where this is going, but I've got to say it because as this series goes on, this is fundamental to being able to live the life, living the life for Jesus. Um, in John chapter 5, starting in verse 11, it says, This is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And, of course, that's the life that I'm talking about here, uh, Living the life for Jesus begins when we have received Christ as our Savior. And he tells us that this is the record. In other words, get it straight. This is where you get that life, the start of that life. Um, Verse 12, it goes on to say, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So, you see, it's... Pretty plain, pretty black and white. You know, sometimes we as as Baptists and those who just believe what God tells us uh, to be true, uh, he says what he means and means what he says, and we, by his grace endeavor to understand all he says and and proclaim all he says and by his grace endeavor to live all he says. uh, You know, they, they say, well, you're just way too dogmatic. You can't know these things. Well... We can know these things if we believe what God's word says. Um, you know, there's a lot of churches that are going to say, oh, you can't be that sure about these things. I was raised in one. I was raised in one. I was never challenged in the church that I grew up in, that I was a sinner and yet that Christ uh, gave his life for me upon the cross of Calvary and he died, he was buried, he rose again, and God extends a gift of eternal life uh through him, um, but you got to receive him, and uh, I was never challenged with that, and, and uh, pretty active in that church. That church still exists back in Lewis, Kansas, but um, it wasn't until I uh, Satan turned me about every which way but loose, and, and uh, later in life, after a lot of almost self-destruction behavior, uh, that a man that I worked with on the railroad in Hutchison, Kansas, invited me to church, and it was a little Baptist church. And uh, I heard the gospel preached. And after flip-flopping around in life, I realized that's what I needed, and uh, and I received Christ as my Savior. and And what we see here uh, became a reality to me. It says, "He that hath the Son uh, hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life." If you have the Son, it's because you've received Jesus as your Savior. I have. Have you? If you're saved and you know it, say amen. amen. All right, I think that's unanimous, right? So I don't need to go any further with this. Uh, but notice what it goes on to say. If you have not done that, let me finish by saying this. If you've not received Christ as your Savior, you're lost in your sins. Because you were born in sins. And, you, you know, we were discussing this in the new members class back in my office. That... Um, Uh, You know, you might be a pretty good person. You might live an upstanding life, and and yet you're born a sinner. And if you uh, do not receive the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're lost. Uh, If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And there's no way you can live the life, at least the life for Jesus. But notice verse 13. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that one day you might know if you're going to get to heaven. Is that what that says? <laughs> no. I hope I didn't trick you in making you think that's what that says. If you're looking with me, these things have I written unto you, what he just said, that believe on the name of the Son of God, and I think that's everybody here. That you may know that you have eternal life. My friends, we can know that we have eternal life. It's not a guessing game. We can have the assurance because it's a promise of God. And I'm here to tell you, God keeps these promises. He's faithful. He promised eternal life. And that's just what it is. Eternal. If you could lose your salvation, uh, my friends, it wouldn't be eternal life. It'd be life for a moment until Satan got the best of you. And you know what that would make? That'd make Satan more powerful than God. Well, I'm here to tell you Satan's pretty powerful. He's pretty potent. And we've been warned to watch out for him, and and, uh, we've been told clearly in God's Word his strategy, and just where he's going, and just what he's going to do, and just how we can have the victory regardless against him. He tells us in his word these things. He's potent, but I'm here to tell you, God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and we have in us God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of a triune Godhead that is given to believers at the moment of salvation, and he indwells us. Don't ask me to explain that, but it's a reality. It is a truth that we find in God's word. You will show me the path of life. And he's shown us in his word these things. And my friends the start of that life. As we see here. Uh, is to receive the son. If you've got the son you've got life. If you don't have the son you don't have life. So that's the start of. That life. That I'm talking about. First John chapter 1. If you had notice with me. Back in chapter 1 of this same epistle, 1 John. Notice verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, John the Apostle, what I have seen, I am telling you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And these things write we unto you that your joy might be full. My friends, that we might be able to live the life for Jesus. He wants us to have our joy full. But, as we all know too well, even if we have started that life, because we have received Jesus as our Savior, oftentimes, full joy does not describe my life. Or pleasures evermore may not be where I'm at today or yesterday or tomorrow. So the next thing that I need to deal with as we begin this series is to, to stay in that life. To stay in that life. Now as I say that, don't misunderstand and, and take me to say that... Um, you can lose your salvation. No. If you've got the son, you've got life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. You cannot lose your salvation. Eternal life is just that. It is eternal. And there is more scripture than you, in the New Testament scriptures, than, than imaginable. That is very clear with regards to the fact that if you are born into the family of God, it's a permanent thing. The parallels are made between the spiritual family and the earthly family. And we understand the the earthly family and sometimes we get all confused about the spiritual family. But we're born into the earthly family. Well, we're born into the spiritual family. It's through second birth. Not the flesh, but the spirit. We are born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And of course, that's just another way of saying we have received that gift of eternal life. Jesus Christ. We are born into that family. We become sons when you're born into the earthly family. We're sons and daughters, right? Well, you're born into God's family, you're sons and daughters. Over here in the earthly family, if a a family member uh, does not... Do like they've been raised to do? Does that mean they quit being a family member? No. There's no way they cannot be a son or a daughter. Oh, you might have to deal with them and 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 discipline, but they're still a son or a daughter, no matter what. Same with God's family. There's no way we can be unborn. Oh, sometimes God has to work in our hearts to bring us back and discipline and and bring us back because He loves us just as a as the earthly. Father and mother do if you love your children and they head in a wrong direction. You'll discipline them. You'll do what's necessary to bring them back. You can't be unborn. The same things are true. You are eternally saved. If you genuinely have believed on Christ, and you know, this was a, a good question that came up in the new members class. Well, what about these people who say they're saved? Well, I'm here to tell you words are cheap, you know. There's a lot of people that say they're saved, and yet they, they do not possess salvation. It, words are easy to say. It's kind of like I could tell you that I'm, I'm important. Does that make me important? No, it doesn't make me important. You know, if a person is genuinely saved, they are a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new, and it'll be evident. Oh, it doesn't mean you're perfect. But there will be a desire to please the Lord and there will be a, 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 a sensitivity to sin as, as we endeavor to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not telling us that, that um, we're going to lose our salvation as we deal with this business of, of um, how to stay in that life. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter. Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, an astounding portion of scripture as it all is, I guess I should say, but what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 just has always boggled my mind. Starting in verse 9, it says, As it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We can't, you know, our heads spin trying to figure it out. But, notice, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And, my friends, it is here in this book that he has told us, all that he has done for those, for us who love him. Verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. In other words, no one really knows what I'm thinking, except me. I know what I'm thinking. I might tell you what I'm thinking, but you wouldn't know it if I didn't tell you. Or the same with you. But you know what you're doing. What? The Spirit of God knows what God's doing. The Spirit of God knows what God offers to man through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. And not just eternal life, going to heaven and being there forever, but what's available right here, right now, living the life. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, verse 12, but the Spirit which is of God that we might know the things which are freely given unto us by God. My friends, that's Stated based upon the the truth that we have the Holy Spirit of God, He is He comes and in, indwells our body at the moment of salvation. That's what that's about. And even over in chapter six, when you when you realize uh, these carnal believers uh, were doing some things that that uh, is unimaginable. Uh, he says, "What know you not that?" that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which are His. Uh, You know, we don't, the Spirit doesn't leave us when when we might be uh, straying from the Lord. The Spirit is there to convict us and to bring us back. Well, verse 13, I think, is where I left off. Which things also we speak not with words, which man's wisdom teacheth, Paul is talking about that, what he's telling them. But but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that's why before salvation, my friends, God's word was kind of weird. It didn't make much sense. And it was something that we couldn't understand. But after salvation... Once we have this Holy Spirit, in fact, Christ says over in John chapter 14 that when the Spirit comes, it's it's expedient that I go away because the Father will send the promise of the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, He will lead you into all truth. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He will help us to understand God's Word. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. This is God's Letter to us, his love letter to us, and we can understand it when we have the Holy Spirit living within us and he and he tells us about these things, for they are foolishness unto him, um, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ through the spirit of God, and what we see here in in first Corinthians chapter 2 being brought out along with this truth is that there are basically uh, some different categories of man. Um, we see first there's natural man uh, there in verse 14. That's that's uh, the man who is lost, has never received Christ. And if a person dies in that condition, they spend eternity in hell paying for their sins. And yet... Jesus paid for our sins, and yet you got to receive that gift. And then in verse 15, it says, uh, there is a spiritual man. That's the saved person that is living the life, being what God would have him to be. But as you go on in chapter 3, you realize that there is a third category or class of people. Notice what it says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. Whereas there is among you envyings and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? And walk as men, so my friends, a third class of people is a carnal man. And that is a believer who is not living the life that God has asked him to live. Um, What we're going to be looking at as we continue with this series is the second man, the spiritual man. The one who is where the Lord would want him to be. And, of course, we understand and realize, and Scripture tells us very clearly over in Galatians chapter 5, that my friends, living the life for Jesus is not all that easy over in Galatians chapter 5, if you'd go there with me, in Galatians chapter 5, and written to believers. These epistles are written to believers, and the direct application is to us as believers here in this passage. Sometimes we lose sight of that, and we think, well, no, this is talking about the natural man. No, it's not. It's making a distinction between the spiritual man and the carnal man, both believers. (coughs) Verse 16, this I say then, Galatians 5, 16, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And it goes on to tell about the product of, of the one who's living in the flesh, or walking in the flesh, as compared to the to the product, or the, the uh, one who's living the life for the Lord, or walking in the spirit. And what does that mean? You say, well, what does it mean, walking in the spirit, or walking in the flesh? Well, a walk is... It's kind of, you know, I walked in here this morning. And when we think of our walk, it's, it's where we're going. You know, you walk somewhere, you're going somewhere. Well, are you walking to where God would want you to go? Or are you walking where the flesh would want you to go? Are you thinking the things that God would want you to think and doing that which he would have you to do? Or what the flesh would have you to do? And Satan's standing right there hurling fiery darts at you, endeavoring to cause us to go astray. Well, my friends, uh, if we walk in the spirit, if we follow that which God would have us to do, and and it is found here in this book, it's no mystery. David said, "Thou wilt show me the path of life," and He's shown us the path of life, and therein is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. Well, notice what the product of walking in the spirit is. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. Verse twenty two gentleness, goodness, faith, so on and so forth, my friends, is the very things that the world clamors after. So we realize that it's not necessarily easy. We have an enemy. He knows where we're weak, and we are no stronger than our weakest point. He doesn't strike at the superstructure of our life. He strikes where we're weak. He's a dirty player. Satan, that is. He hits below the belt. And if one thing doesn't work, he's like a fisherman. He'll quickly take that off the line, and he'll dangle something else down in front of you. And he'll keep doing that until he finds something that looks pleasant to you. And he'll do just like what you'll do. If you finally have that fish bite your hook, you'll... You set the hook. You got the fish. Well, you don't lose your salvation. But my friends, the the those that walk in the flesh, the works of the flesh are manifest in these, and it's an ugly, 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 ugly list. And it's written about believers. It's not written about the lost. It's written about believers. If you're a carnal believer and 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 walking in the flesh, that's the result. Turn with me to first John chapter. Um, 1 back to 1st John chapter 1 as I wrap up what I want to say here today 1st John chapter 1 I've already read verse 4 it says these things write we unto you that your joy might be full that's verse 4 1st John 1 4 and he's talking about fellowship verse 3 says that you can have fellowship with us And then he says in verse 5, this then is a message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. In other words, my friends, God is holy. He is righteous. There is no evil or wrong in him. He is complete holiness. And if we walk in darkness or if we have sin in our life, things that he has pointed out to us that is wrong here, if we If we have sin in our life as as a believer. We're out of fellowship. We're not kicked out of the family. But we've we've lost that sweet close relationship. That God says is fellowship. We are out of fellowship. But if we walk in verse 6. In the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of his son Jesus Christ. uh, Cleanses us from all sin. And of course. Based on the truths of God's word, what we just saw over in Galatians chapter 5 with the struggle that goes on and, and the, you know, one lusts against the other. These ways of life. Uh, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If I would tell you that I have no sin, my friends, I'd, I'd be a liar. <clears throat> because we are way too prone to wander. But that doesn't mean we have to give up on living the life. No, because verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we will admit where we have done wrong and agree with God about the fact that it is wrong, that it is called sin, because he said so, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, uh, some of these promises of God uh, are qualified with that statement. He is faithful. And that just underscores the fact that therein lies our hope. God is faithful. He will do exactly what he says he will do. He keeps these promises. And he's promised if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to clean us up. That we can be back in fellowship. And that ought to be the, the position of any believer. Oh, when we sin, when we fall, the Holy Spirit will convict us. And we ought to be sensitive to that. And we ought to quickly get back into a right relationship with the Lord. And uh, he'll clean us up. And we'll be living the life for Jesus. To stay in that life. 1 John 1.9 is vital because uh, of the battle that goes on that will continue to go on until we step into the very presence of Jesus. Uh, living the life. This month, January of 2020, begins the 39th year that Debbie and I have been here at First Baptist Church in Columbia Falls. Can you believe that? That boggles my mind. You know, back in 2017, I lost a year. I don't know how it happened. In the annual reports, I uh, like we're going to have in our annual business meeting, that uh, I give an annual report, all the committee heads and chairman of the boards and, and uh, ministry leaders uh, give an annual report of God's work in our midst. And and uh, in 2000, uh, the report for 2016, which was in January of 17. I said that we had completed our 35th year. And then in uh, the report for 2017, which was in January of 2018, I said, "We've completed our 35th year."." And then in 2018, which uh, a report for 2018, which was in January of 2019, uh, I said, "We've completed our 36th year." I get confused trying to do the math. <laughs> I had to sketch it out on the paper to verify that, yes, it's been, we just completed 38 years. We're starting on our 39th year here because it boggles my mind. We candidated in the fall of 1981. Britt Bell and his dad drove to Kansas and, and hauled all of our... Earthly belongings up here to Columbia Falls after the Lord led in our lives, and and, uh, we uh, came here to be your pastor. Our first Sunday was the first Sunday of January 1982, and you do the math, and my friends, that's January 2020. Uh, We've completed 38 years. As most of you know, Pastor and Mrs. Warner came to the Flathead Valley as missionaries, from Pennsylvania under Columbia Basin Mission, which currently is a uh, Continental Baptist Mission. It's morphed a time or two between there, but it's what now is known as Continental Baptist Mission, and we support missionaries from Continental Baptist Mission, Matt Sripfer, for one. Bill Jenkins is going to be out here, who is the president of that. They came in December of 1943, with two young sons. Their first services here at First Baptist Church were July 8th, 1945. This summer, on August the 2nd, we're going to celebrate our church's 75th anniversary. And Bill Jenkins, who is the president of Continental Baptist Mission, is gonna be here to uh, uh, challenge us at that anniversary service. And also conduct a, a Bible conference. Uh, we've, he's been here before. And I want you to know that Debbie and I can truly say, as we've been here all these years, we have been living the life. Oh, it doesn't mean that we've been perfect. But my friends, there is no thing, or no place, or no church that we would rather have spent 38 years at than the First Baptist Church of Columbia Falls. It truly has been a privilege and a joy, satisfying, rewarding, challenging, productive time for us. On that Sunday, August second, 2020, we're going to embark upon another phase of life called retirement. I think that uh, we're going to give it a whirl anyway. I'm not sure you you do retire from ministry. This is Debbie's last year of teaching. And that Sunday will be my last Sunday as your pastor. And uh, we wanted to let you know that. It's in our uh, annual report to you. So there are a few things that I would like us to see wrapped up before then. Number one, this series. I've got to finish this series. I think I can do that. Our multi-purpose building. Something that's been on the DACA for 25 years. And uh, we're, we're about that close to it. There's a report about that in our annual report. And it, it just makes my head spin to see what the Lord has done. And then, seeking our church's third senior pastor. That's a process we don't have much experience with. But that's something that we need to do. And I trust, as we seek and pray and look to the Lord, that we will find the man of God's choosing. Father, thank you. And I praise you for these years, how you have led and directed given strength, wisdom. It's hard to imagine that it's been 38 years. I thank you for this church. I thank you for each and every one that's been a part of it in times past. Father, so many dear saints of God has touched our lives in so many ways. And continue to here today. What a good church we have. And it's only because of you. And your provision for us. Father there's challenges that lie ahead. The transition of a of another senior pastor is a big step. But Father we look to you. And trust that you will lead us. And that indeed you will. Provide the man of your choosing. Father we pray that you would bless as we. Continue through this day as we have our potluck and as we conduct our annual business meeting reflecting back to 2019, we just commit it to you. It's more important than that, Father, that if you've spoken to some heart or life here this morning, some need that there might be, someone who has never even begun to live the life for Jesus and needs to be saved, or someone who has begun living for Jesus, and yet uh, they have stopped and they have yielded in, to their flesh. Father, I pray that you would work in hearts and lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your, always your presence with us as we gather. Use your word mightily in our midst, Father, Till you do blow that trumpet, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.